Evening, folks. I'd like to begin by reading some texts, um, just a few different uh, scriptures that relate to what I'm going to talk to tonight. But I want to front load these. The first is from 1 Kings 19. Now, this is from the story of Elijah. It's a very famous moment in the life of Elijah where God calls Elijah to go to the Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was the place where God famously spoke to his people. And uh, this is a moment where God highlights the importance of listening to God's voice. 1 Kings 19 verse 11, the Lord said to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. So God caused all of these big things to happen, these big sensational things, but God was not in these things as such. And then it says, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. And of course, God spoke to Elijah. This is, uh, this is a, a moment where God underlines the importance of, amongst other things, of listening to God, being attentive to God. The next uh, text I'd like to read is from Matthew chapter 7, a very famous moment in Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. It says from verse 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Uh, the, um, the verbs here are present continuous. Ask and keep on asking. Ask, keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Notice the importance of process there, that there's something to do, and there's then an importance in that process. And it's calling for active perseverance. The next text is from Colossians 1, verse 9 to 11, which says this, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, endurance, and patience. And then finally, one small verse from Psalm 37, verse seven. Be still, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Over the last little while, I have been talking about some of the ways in which our biblical worldview contrasts with, generally speaking, the worldview of our culture. And that's very generally speaking because there are a lot of different worldviews represented in our culture. So if, if I may uh, make crude generalizations, uh, I'm talking about 
generally the way, uh, the sort of popular way that life is depicted in our mainstream culture, the differences and, and even the way in which um, our culture shapes us, the difference between that trajectory and the trajectory of the way that the Bible would shape our lives. And I have depicted, and, and I'm going to come back to uh, this way of, of depicting it, which I think is useful, doesn't do everything that, that uh, doesn't say everything that needs to be said. Um, our culture looks a little bit like this diagram here, like life on a single axis, human experience is depicted uh, on a single axis like this. This is kind of sums up a sort of a worldly way of understanding well-being. Now, when I say a worldly way, this is not supported in, uh, in positive psychology. It's not supported actually even uh, generally in philosophy, interestingly. But culturally speaking, this is, uh, this is kind of the way that people live their lives on this single axis. Life is this, uh, this trajectory from unpleasant, painful and sad to pleasant, enjoyable and happy. And everyone's trying to get from one end of that spectrum to the other. People are preoccupied with moving along that horizontal axis from stuff that's unpleasant, experiences that are unpleasant, to a life that is more pleasant. Now, the problem with this is that it actually doesn't match the way that we are. And interestingly, uh, this uh, was, you know, this has been well documented in, in psychology and, uh, and even in philosophy, interestingly, this really doesn't carry any weight. It's, this is far too narrow, this one-dimensional view uh, of human existence. Because the fact is we are clearly wired for a whole other dimension of human existence that can be depicted like this. What we need to add to this horizontal axis, which is valid enough, I mean, that's a valid aspect of human experience, is this vertical axis. Because we are wired as human beings for something more than just that trajectory from the pleasant to the unpleasant. There is a yearning in the human heart for the holy, the sacred, the glorious, the pure, the sublime, and the majestic. And the source of the greatest suffering in the human soul is that sense of debasement, it's shame, uh, a, uh, an experience of evil in ourselves, a sense of something being defiled, something absolutely sacred that has been defiled in some sense. Now because, and I'm, this is a little bit of uh, just a summary of stuff that I've covered before, but I'm going to continue to work off this uh, tonight and probably in a couple of weeks' time uh, as well. Now, what has happened, again, crudely and broadly speaking, uh, in our culture, but this is true and actually uh, explicitly this is what happened uh, from the time of Sigmund Freud, actually, this is what he did. How do you solve the problem of our experience of the bottom end of that vertical axis? How do we solve? This is a terrible experience. In fact, it's the very definition of kind of hellish experiences, that experience of debasement and shame, depravity and evil. It's, how, do you, how do we live with that? Well, what our culture has essentially done is because we didn't like the experiences at the bottom end of that trajectory, we just got rid of the whole vertical axis. 
We just got rid of the whole vertical axis. We just canceled the whole thing out. But what we got rid of is that we got rid of the holy and the sacred and the glorious and the pure and the sublime at the same time. We completely lost that whole aspect of human experience. And yet, we're wired to need this. There's a yearning in the human heart for this. But unfortunately, we are a culture of people on this desperate race along that horizontal axis. We're all racing desperately, trying to escape pain and insecurity and, uh, and sadness and unpleasantness. We're trying to escape, so running away from this. And, uh, and, and we're doing this as quickly and as noisily as we possibly can because we've also got the task of drowning out the experience at the bottom end of that vertical trajectory. It's like if I run fast enough along that horizontal axis, right? If I, if I run fast enough along that, then maybe I can drown out the experiences at the bottom end of that trajectory. But there is only one way of dealing with what is a pervasive, universal element of human experience at the bottom of that, the universal experience of guilt and shame and so forth. There's only one way, as the Bible says, there's one name given under heaven by which people might be saved, and that is Jesus Christ. God came to us in Jesus Christ to suffer and die on a cross so that shame and guilt might be lifted off us, so God could lift us up, so God could take what has been defiled, because God could take what has become guilty and lift it up to become sacred and holy, and pure again. And the journey that God wants to take us on is a vertical journey. It's a journey of elevating us. And it may be in any, any place on that horizontal axis, but it's always upwards. Now, the problem is, uh, of course, is that our culture, and again, crudely speaking, our culture is very much oriented towards a journey along that horizontal axis. And so, in many ways, we, and, and I'm going to be pretty practical tonight, because in many ways, our culture and our inculturation, the way that we are conditioned as, uh, as members of our culture, very much works against uh, any sense of elevation. You see, one of the things that is important about moving upwards is that there is now a, a real importance on process. See, if, it's, if you're just on that journey along the horizontal axis from the unpleasant, from the, you know, escaping pain and moving towards a, uh, you know, a kind of happier life, in inverted commas, then you, you don't want process. You just want to get from one to the other as quickly as you can, right? But when you're talking about ele elevation, then process becomes important. But the problem is in our culture is that we live in a kind of push-button culture where any sense of process is inherently a negative thing. We live in a, a culture that moves at breakneck speed where we have become incredibly impatient as people. And it's partly because for all the wonderful things about technology, and, and, and again, I'm not here to culture bash tonight. There are lots of wonderful things uh, about our culture and obviously there are lots of amazing things about technology, but the spin-off is that we have become very impatient as people. I found this video um, of, uh, this is a, a video from the early 80s, actually. It's um, 
just you know the, around the time when really the internet, a very early form uh, of the internet, and it's an instruction video. It's actually showing, explaining how to send an email. This is when this was a really, uh, really new thing. And you know what? It, it's all about you know it's got to be quick and simple. You know the quicker and the sim simpler something is, and the less process, the better, right? Um, and so this is, uh, this is a video on, this is the first part of a video on how to send an email, because the video goes for half an hour. Have a look at this. With the assistance of the outside broadcast unit, we will be linking from the database studio to their home. Pat Green and Julian, welcome to database. Hello, Jane. Hello, Jane. Now, Julian, I see you have your computer linked to the telephone line. Can you tell us how you did that? Yes, well, it's very simple, really. Um, the telephone is connected to the telephone network with a British Telecom plug. And I simply remove the telephone jack from the telecom socket and plug it into this box here, the modem. I then take another wire from the modem and plug it in where the telephone was. I can then switch on the modem and we're ready to go. Um, the computer is asking me if I want to log on and it's now telling me to phone up the main Presto computer which I will now do. Um, this is a very simple connection to make. Extremely simple. So simple. Um, and I can actually leave the modem pl plugged in once it's done that without affecting the telephone. I'm now waiting for the computer to answer me. It asks with a tone and then I just flick a switch on the modem. Simple. And replace the receiver. And... Things are starting to happen. Things are starting so to happen. How good is that? So simple. What, you know, it's amazing the, the, the difference. I mean, this is 1980. That's not, actually not that long ago. And yet the difference between, you know, 1980 and 2020, 40 years. I mean, if you go back in history, the difference between, for example, 1700 and 1800, the, the, actual, the, the so cultural difference would not have been would not have been that much of a contrast. Well, it would have been in Australia, um, but let's say in Europe. There wouldn't have been that much of a contrast. There wouldn't have been much difference between the year 700 and the year 1200. Not really that much of a difference. Uh, so what we're dealing with is we're dealing with a culture that's moving very quickly. Things are happening more quickly. And in fact, time is broken up into smaller and smaller units. This is why we want things to happen as quickly as possible. It's why we are absolutely incensed if we have to, you know, if we're watching TV and it starts buffering, you know, you get that buffering thing. It's like, what? Uh, you know, my, my children's notion of poverty is, is 3G. That's, that's, that's their concept of poverty. And, and it's like, and, and if they're, you know, if they go, because where we live up in Ceres, for example, we, we, for, we, we don't get 4G up there. And they just think that's, that, that just doesn't make, how we, we live in poverty here or what? So we, we have this sort of cultural impatience. And as a result to our, you know, our calendars are broken up into smaller and smaller increments. Uh, you know, we, we now live longer and uh, we're actually more efficient than ever. And that should translate into us having more time. But do you think it does? No, it doesn't. We're busier than ever. 
And this is because of our speed, our pace of life. We keep breaking up life into smaller increments because we're trying to fit more in. Just as we try to fit more features into smaller and smaller devices, we're trying to fit more content into smaller increments of time. You see this, for example, with the, uh, you know, with short form video. Previously, in YouTube, had a 10-minute sweet spot. 10 minutes, because then it was thought, you know, people are going to get impatient after that and they're probably going to turn off. 10 minutes, come on, let's not push people's attention spans here. Well, now with platforms like TikTok, you're looking at a 10 to 60 second sweet spot. And if you're advertising, you're looking at a probably about 15 seconds tops with many big brands going to two second promos. We've got this kind of attention deficit situation uh, in, in our culture. And this means that not only is life moving faster, but it's actually getting louder because we're jamming more content in. So it's in one sense, it's getting louder as well in terms of the rapidity of the information, more noise. We're constantly being saturated, absolutely saturated with a torrent of information, and it's given to us in smaller and smaller bites. Now, one of the problems with this is that it doesn't give us any time really to reflect or discern with regards to the information that we're taking on. It's just bang, 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 constantly. There's an interesting book, um, uh, now a, quite a, a famous book by Daniel, the psychologist Daniel Kahneman, who's a Nobel Prize winning uh, psychologist called Thinking Fast and Slow. A lot of people study this book uh, at uni if you do marketing or economics or, or whatever. Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. And he, he talks about there being two systems. Um, the mind is... The, the human mind is made up of two systems, essentially, uh, that he refers to as system one and system two, uh, rather unimaginatively. Uh, so system one is, is uh, the system that functions automatically, intuitively, kind of even involuntarily in a way. It's, it's intuition, impressions. It's that, that immediate gut reaction to things, right? That, innate, that impulsive reaction to situations. That's system one. And there's, you know, there's a purpose uh, for, for that. But then there's system two. System two requires more deliberation. That's the reasoning and, and the, uh, it, it requires concentration. That's re responsible for intentional decision-making and self-control and deliberation. Liberation. And the, the psychologist Jonathan Haidt actually takes uh, this idea and he uses this illustration of the rider and the elephant. So the elephant is our, you know, is our intuition, our, our gut reactions, our emotions, um, you know, our desires and so forth. That's, that's the elephant. But the elephant needs a rider to, to actually point it in the wrong direction. Otherwise, this, this big creature is just going to, you know, tumble in, in whichever direction it feels like, right? And so the rider is, is the, you know, is deliberation and, and reasoning and thinking, intentionality, right? And the problem that they, that they point out is that we're not giving ourselves time to allow this, system two really to function. We're, we're responding to everything in this very immediate way. Now, from a biblical point of view, the problem is that we end up living at the level of our broken intuitions and our mostly misguided impulses. We can just constantly live by broken intuitions, misguided impulses. Now, the other problem, and I'm going to point out a few problems here, and, and don't, don't 
uh, worry too much about this because like, I am going to present some, uh, a fairly simple uh, solution. Uh, it's not like a you know three steps uh, to freedom from all of these problems, but uh, uh, I am going to diagnose a few issues. Uh, these are common things that, and sometimes there's a relief in recognizing, oh, this is why I struggle with this. This is why this is a problem. Uh, and and actually, there there are some simple lifestyle things that, that we can do to actually point ourselves in a better direction. I'm going to talk about that in a moment, but first, I just want to underline some of the problems, if that's okay. You okay with that? Cool. Okay. The other issue uh, with this torrent of information is that, and this is an interesting one, it pushes us into a mode of passivity, a passive mode. Like, you know, all the information just gets thrown at us, right, in the most, often in very sensational form. It's not created, the information isn't made so that you have to lean in and probe and, and it, you know, the less work you've got to do, the better. Like, we've become very lazy in, in the way that we access information. Uh, active engagement isn't really a thing anymore. It's interesting, when I uh, started my uh, research at Melbourne Uni, I, I went to a speed reading course, and the instructor um, began by, he, he gave us a, a book uh, to read, and he said, what I'm going to need to do is I'm going I'm to need to teach you actually to actively engage with a text. Because in our culture, he pointed out, we, we've lost the ability to actively engage with texts. You know, the, 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 the standard kind of pop, uh, pop novel is, is, you know, the page turner. It's, they've got to get you in. They've got, to, they've got to hook you in in that first, you know, those first few pages. Otherwise, we just get impatient and put it down. That's if we read at all. And nowadays, uh, fewer and fewer people even read books because that requires effort, engagement at least a lot more than a lot of people are willing to give. And so it pushes us into this passive, just throw the information at me, just hit me with all of this information. And so I'm just taking all of this information passively. And it, take, it takes more and more actually to even keep us interested now. It's interesting, if you have a look at a action film, say from the 50s or the 60s, I remember, um, I think I've used this, this illustration before, I remember, uh, watching the, the old Charlton Heston film, Planet of the Apes. Has anyone seen that? Uh, and and there, there are these long scenes of Charlton Heston uh, walking across this desert, you know, and it's the longest scenes. It goes for like minutes, which is an eternity. In, because nowadays you would cut it short and, and then bang, 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 these short you know, they cut. You know, it's an, it's an action movie. And yet we would now, we're so attention deprived that now it, would just, it just seems boring to us because we've sped up so much. And it's put us into this passive kind of way of thinking. We don't have to seek in order to find anything. It just gets thrown at us. And because all of this information comes to us in small bites, all disconnected, we're therefore way more distracted than ever. I mean, we just, it all just gets chucked at us from all different, uh, from all different directions. Uh, and so we end up with fractured attention. This is something um, that uh, is the subject of, of a, a book I recently read called Stolen Focus by Johan Hari, where he explores what he calls the fracturing of our attention. He says the motto of our era should be, I tried to live, but 
I got distracted. He points out that in 1986, the volume of information being blasted at the average human being amounted to about 40 newspapers worth of information every day. It's in 1986. By 2007, the figure had risen to 174 newspapers per day worth of information being thrown at us. And that's before the advent of the smartphone. One researcher that uh, Hari interviews comments saying, what we're sacrificing is depth in all sorts of dimensions. We're sacrificing depth, the ability to engage at any, to any depth in anything. I mean, try, you know, reading the Bible, for example. Maybe you haven't even tried. Maybe, you haven't, maybe it's just unthinkable for you to pick up a text like that and begin to read it. It's quite possible because that's becoming more and more and more difficult with the kind of uh, um, issues that we're talking about here. But I think for a lot of people, when they open up the Bible, it's like, all right, hit me, God. It's got to jump out of the page and grab you, and you've got to have some big spiritual experience. Otherwise, oh, yeah, I tried reading the Bible. I didn't, I just got a bit bored by it. But the Bible's written for an active encounter. You've got to actively engage, you've got to search the scriptures. And we've got to relearn actually how to even do that because you've got to seek. You've got to seek in order to find. And so you can see, you can see the sorts of issues that some of these things um, cause within us. Um, another interesting book, and I'm footnoting a lot tonight, uh, uh, I know, but um, one more interesting a book that I want to refer to is, and again, now it's a very famous book. It's just I had a... Um, uh, Penguin Publishers have just published a 20th anniversary uh, edition of a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. I love the title. Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. He wrote this book, um, uh, I say 20th, uh, 20th anniversary. Uh, that was actually about 15 years ago because it was actually written in the mid-80s, this book. It was written in the mid-80s. And he talks about the fact that everything in this culture is reduced to essentially entertainment because, uh, you know, we, we, we get bombarded with all this information, but we tune out. If it's, we don't find it interesting enough, uh, you know, we tune out. That's why news channels, uh, that, that, you know, they'll cover a war for a little while, but then they're not going to keep going back to it because the audience gets bored of that. The war can keep going on, right? But the audience is bored, so we'll go and find, you know, stuff about Prince you know, uh, Prince William or Prince Harry or something, just had an argument or something like that, you know. Because uh, whatever's interesting, because it's all about entertainment. You know, now, uh, Neil Postman's pointing that out in the 80s, in the mid-80s. But he makes a really interesting point. Uh, I know this, some of this sounds a little academic. Are you okay? Still, still good? Okay. He makes a really interesting point. He talks about the information action rate ratio. The information action ratio. And he says, the problem is, is that now, most of the information that we, we, we're bombarded with all of this information, but very little of it are we required to actually respond to. So it's essentially all meaningless, because normally, the, you know, the, the, 
the sort of organic thing is be, I, I tell you something and, 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 and there's, there's something I can do or respond or, or, you know, but in our culture what's happened is that we've lowered the information action rate ratio so that most of the information we receive, we're not even expected to do anything about it. And it's therefore quite likely that we will do nothing about it. It's very likely that you'll listen to everything that I'm saying to you tonight and next week and the week after, and you'll walk out of this building, and by pure habit, it'll go out of your mind and you'll do absolutely nothing about it. That's the most likely scenario because of how we've been shaped by our culture. Now, of course... You can decide, no, no, I'm actually, I'm going to make a note. I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to resolve. I am going to do something about this. You could do that. But in order to do that, you need to know what your natural tendency is. This is why it's useful to understand how our culture has shaped us. Because we put a lot of stock in just receiving lots of interesting information. Mmm, that's really interesting. Bang, it's gone. On to the next thing. Oh, yes, that's really interesting too. Bang, it's gone. Next one, next one, next one. And we do nothing about any of it. We're changed by none of it. And yet, the way that God transforms our lives is by speaking to us through his word, by speaking to our hearts, by his Holy Spirit. We are required to respond and do something. And so we have some natural challenges that we need to overcome. Now, this rapid pace of our culture is very much contrasted by what we read about in the Bible, because when you read the Bible, you get this very distinct sense that God moves slowly. God speaks quietly. God demands our undivided attention for active engagement. He wants us to seek actively in order to find, and he wants to develop perseverance within us patience. He's not in a hurry. God is not in a hurry. I don't know if you've noticed that. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now that's a process. God moves at the rate of relationship. God moves slowly because there's a process. There's something that he's trying to lead you through. If you read the Bible, what we readily notice, of course, is all of the great things that God did, right? The great acts of God that we remember from the biblical story. What we tend not to notice as much is the amount of time that transpired between the great acts of God. In fact, most of the biblical story is made up of people waiting for God to do something. But the process, the in-between part is really, really important. What God does in that, the process in the, mid, in the middle between those great acts of God is so, so important. God is concerned 
with process because he's not just concerned with moving us along that horizontal axis. That's not God's primary concern, not in this life. God's primary concern is to elevate us, to draw us closer to him. And that looks like dealing with things in our life. That looks like process. God moves at the rate of relationship. And therefore, he needs our attention. He needs our quality time. And what we need to try to recover, and this is where I get to the practical end uh, of this message, what we need to try to create in our lives. I think actually before we even, before we even jump to trying to pray or uh, find some sense of, of an experience of God in any sense, uh, and, and that can be problematic because remember, we're, we're, we're also, uh, we, we tend to not recognize something as valid until it's some big, big emotional experience. It's not kind of real unless it's a big sensational emotional experience. Now that's a problem <laughs> because God is constant presence. God is not now and then or here or there in a bunch, you know, big things. No, God is constant presence. He is the still small voice constantly speaking to us through everything. So what we need to try to recover is what I'm going to call the contemplative posture, the contemplative pace and contemplative spaces in our lives. Now, this is what I mean by that. I mean making space in your life just for the sake of making space in all of the busyness It's like, imagine, uh, imagine our, our psyche is like this jungle of activity, right? There's all of this activity going on. And what we need to do in the midst of that jungle is make a clearing in the midst of that jungle where we can set up a place of meeting with God. It's like, I'm gonna build a tent of meeting right here, a place where I can meet with God. But first, you've got to clear the jungle, right? You've got to make, actually make the space. That's the first step. As I said before, actually, we even really try, a lot of people find prayer really, really difficult. It just doesn't happen. And one of the reasons that it doesn't happen is because we, we, we don't even have the space, like we don't even have the mental space. We don't have the, any sense of mental presence. The problem, as I've said many times before, the problem isn't that God is absent. The problem is that we're absent. We suffer from this perpetual sense of absent-mindedness. Our minds are running around all over the place, hyperactively. Because we're so overstimulated. We're so addicted to activity that as soon as there's a blank space, or oh, we've got to fill it with something, I've got to put something in my ears, jump on my phone, you know, scroll through the, you know, the, the, the 10 second little videos or whatever. Which we're addicts to that kind of stimulation. So when you put your phone down, when you get off the screen, you make space, we experience with kind of, it's like withdrawal symptoms. And then, the, and then you can't concentrate because your brain is just running around everywhere. So let it run around. Make more space. Let yourself withdraw. Make space for the sake of making space. As many of you know, on the first Monday night of every month from 7.30 to 8.30 here and over at our Moolap, campus. We have the waiting room and we just come in here and we sit still silently for an hour 
And I love it because it's so countercultural. It's so countercultural. What you, you just sit silently for an hour. A lot of people, it's interesting, a lot of people have said, oh man, I, I, just, I just struggle too much. I just struggle too much with that. And so, yeah, no, it was too much of a struggle. If that's the case, actually, you, you particularly need to come to that. Another problem, of course, is that we have this attitude that if we could express it, it would sound like this if we verbalize this attitude towards prayer. It goes like this. All right, God, I'm giving you half an hour. Right, I've scheduled this in. I'm giving you half an hour. Now, this better be good. You better do something because I'm only giving you one chance. Now, what do you think God's reply to that is? Now, we need to make space first. It doesn't matter what even happens in that space. Let your mind go all over the place. Let it be torturous. <laughs> but just make space for the sake of making space. And, and I don't mean even coming and sitting in a building and sitting still. And, and I mean, it's interesting because the, the rise of mindfulness in our culture is one, is, is an acknowledgement that this is a really, really big issue. That people, there's this sense of we're absent from our own lives. People recognize this across the board. And, and you know, I mean, we often think meditation is kind of, oh, is that, isn't that something that belongs to Eastern religions? No, it's a very old, long and old tradition of Christian meditation in the Christian tradition. The discipline of being still is a very central part of Christian spirituality, has for a very long time, and I think we could do with a bit of that. Okay, so that's why, that's why we, for example, do the waiting room, but I'm not just talking about that. Like, even something practical, go for a walk. Here's a good idea. Go for a walk, right? And leave the AirPods out, for goodness sake. Leave the AirPods out. And just enjoy the breeze and the birds and the trees. I didn't mean to rhyme, but it just did because it was a little poetic moment there. When you're driving along in your car, turn the, turn the stuff off, right? Turn it off and just sit in silence for its own sake. Find spaces where you just sit. Sit at your table, have a cup of tea, Stare at the wall. Like seriously, just do that because it's really good for us to do nothing. I got into the habit a couple of years ago of actually on my day off, I would put aside a block of time and I just knew I needed to detox from, from this overstimulated brain. The, most, the best form of fasting in our culture is stimulation fasting. Media fasting. I'm not saying we have to throw out your television. I mean, it's not, probably not a bad idea, but, uh, or, you know, your iPads and your phones. I mean, you know, uh, I don't know if you've seen that, uh, that Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. I mean, there's guys on that that are literally saying, chuck out your, you know, chuck out your smartphones. And I'm not, look, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying we need to exercise some moderation. A bit of fasting, actually, media fasting would be good. I got in the habit of putting aside a block of time. I remember going for a walk uh, and I, and I, and I had this sense that God was saying to me, don't try to achieve anything. Because I had this problem. Whenever I would put time aside, right, we've got to achieve something now. I've got to get some big, I've got to have some big experience right now. God, come on, let's, let's show up. And then I'd be really disappointed. Oh, not much happened. 
I didn't have some big emotional experience. You know, I didn't. But that's not what, that's not what is important. The first and most important act of worship is actually something really simple. Make a clearing for God. Just do that. Here's a start. First step, folks. Step number one. Make a clearing in the jungle. And you can build your, you know, you can build your temple there, you know, metaphorically speaking. You can build your spiritual life there, but you've first got to make a clearing, right? Make a clearing. And just sit in the clearing. Just be still. Learn to be silent. Learn to do without the activity. And you will find, and this is what I've discovered from experience, that as I have made that space, that clearing in my life, that contemplative space, that has been an amazing place of meeting for me with God. It's been the most precious thing. It first actually came to my uh, attention. I'll, I'll finish soon. came to my attention a, a number. It's about 10 years ago um, when I remember I sat down with my youngest daughter who was very young then. She was about four and she loved making a cafe. You know, she'd, she'd make a pretend cafe and she'd want me to sit on the floor and play cafes with her, right? And I remember sitting down on the floor and, and, I'm, and I'm really fidgety, right? And, I'm, and I can remember feeling impatient with the whole darn thing. And I was shocked at my own impatience. I was actually shocked. I could not sit and enjoy the presence of my own daughter because I was so overstimulated, so obsessed with productivity that even in that moment, I couldn't even engage with that moment. You see, love requires you to be present, to really love someone. It requires you to be really, truly present. It requires patience to love someone. And it's the same with God, more so with God. It requires space to love God and be loved by God. Make a clearing in your life. We race through our lives. We sprint through life. And little do we know that we are actually walking on holy ground. Our culture has completely desacralized this world that was meant to be a temple. That's what God, creation, was made to be God's temple, his holy, holy temple for us to live in and enjoy God. We need to tread more slowly. We need to urgently go slower. I'm gonna get the music team to come up. We need to urgently go slower. Because we walk on holy ground. We need to notice the sacred and the sublime and the beautiful we need time to love each other and to love God. The ability to be present to each other and to God. Let's create a, a clearing in the jungle. Just start there, a space in the jungle. I'd like you to stand with me.
I'm gonna take a few moments as we close, just to be still, to acknowledge God, a few moments to be present. I know you probably wanna get on to the next thing because we've gone for an hour and 10 minutes. Wow, that's a long time. In an hour and 10 minutes. You know, in traditional cultures, they go for hours. They can do this for hours. Yeah, but no, I know it feels like a little, but let's, can we just, let's just take just a few more moments, if I, if I may, to be still, to be present and to acknowledge God here today. Because I do want us to actually do something about this. So Father, we acknowledge right now that we stand on holy ground. We stand on holy ground, Lord. in the presence of God. Lord, You are present. And today, Lord, we present ourselves before You, Lord. Father, I pray that You would take a hold of every heart and mind in this place, Lord. Father, would You subdue our wild minds and hearts today. Father, slow us down. And help us to walk at Your pace. Help us to hear Your voice in the midst of the noise. Help us to make a clearing in the jungle of our busyness, of our noise, of our activity. A clearing. a place of worship. We acknowledge today, Lord, that we walk on holy ground, holy ground in the presence of our God. Let's acknowledge that together now.